listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Today's scripture reading is from Leviticus chapter 25, verses 1 through 12. And that is page 98 in your pew Bibles, if you're interested in reading along. The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, and say to them, When you enter that land that I am giving you, the land shall observe, observe a Sabbath for the Lord. Six years you shall sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard, and gather in their field. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of complete rest for the land, a Sabbath for the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. You shall not reap the aftergrowth of your harvest or gather the grapes of your unpruned vine. It shall be a year of complete rest for the land. You may eat what the lands yield during its Sabbath, you, your male and female slaves, your hired and unbound laborers who lived with you. For your livestock also and for the wild animals in the land, all its yield shall be for food. You shall count off seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that the period of seven weeks of years gives 49 years. Then you shall have the trumpet sound loud on the tenth day of the seventh month, on the day of atonement. You shall have the trumpet sounded throughout all your land, and you shall hallow the fiftieth year, and you shall proclaim liberty throughout the land to all of its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. You shall return every one of you to your property, and every one of you to your family. That fiftieth year shall be a jubilee for you. You shall not sow or reap the aftergrowth or harvest the unpruned vines, for it is a jubilee. It shall be holy to you. You shall eat only what the field itself produces. Good morning again, everyone. I brought a towel today. July is almost over, and I'm finally ready to preach for the summer. This is, this is good. I also took care of some allergies I've been struggling with. Is anyone here a seasonal allergy sufferer? Anyone else? It's terrible, right? Yeah. I, I, um, I grew up in Pennsylvania, so like allergies were about as bad there as they are here. But then, then I went and lived in California, in Los Angeles. And say what you will about LA, but there are no allergies there. I think it's because it's a desert. It's like this dry, arid wasteland where nothing green can survive. Heaven for people like me. It was, it was good. <clears throat> but then we moved back here like a year ago, and my allergies have been off the charts. Um, last few weeks, people have asked me after church, like, are you sick? Do you have allergies? About a week and a half ago, I discovered Flonase. Has anyone here? I don't, I don't know how I didn't know about this. It's ridiculous. It's like this magical substance. You snort up your nose, and everything gets better. <laughs> like, um, your, your allergies, allergies we're talking. Uh, just go away. Just go away. It's fantastic. Um, and this is not a paid advertisement. I'm not getting kickbacks from Big Pharma. I'm just really excited. I got my towel. I got my flonase. We're ready to preach. <clears throat> so, um, we are in the midst of a series we started a couple weeks ago called Manna Economics, where we're looking at some of the economic and stewardship principles of ancient Israel. And so far in the last two weeks, we've, we've covered some relatively familiar territory. Um, Two weeks ago, we talked about manna in the wilderness, which is this like classic old school Sunday school Bible story where the Israelites have just escaped slavery in Egypt. They follow Moses out into the desert, paradise, right? Um, and uh, there's no food. 
So God feeds them by having bread, manna, literally rain down from heaven. Then last week we talked about Sabbath, which is this practice, this kind of six-in-one rhythm where you work for six days and you rest for one day. And we worked through some of the economic implications of all that last week. So manna and Sabbath, two relatively well-known ideas. These are the kind of stories that, like, if you've been around church for a while, you've probably picked up some of this stuff somewhere. But this week we're going to talk about Jubilee, and Jubilee is a much less familiar idea from the Bible. But it's no less important, especially when we're talking about economics and stewardship. In fact, I'm actually a little curious, show of hands, how many people here have heard of Jubilee, other than the reading just now? Okay, that's a lot of hands, that's more than I was expecting. Heard is too easy, though. How many of you feel like you could kind of confidently explain Jubilee? Like if someone on the street came up to you and was like, what's with this Jubilee year? How many of you could give like a semi-coherent answer? Okay, a couple, not that many. Which this is good, this is really good. This means that we're gonna learn something together in the next 20 minutes. Um, Either that or I will have totally failed you as a teacher and either one of those are are possible, let's face it. Um, But let's get into Jubilee. Here's, Here's the deal with Jubilee. We all, we've heard of Sabbath, right? That's six of one rhythm. You work six days, you rest one. That's the Sabbath day. But the ancient Israelites also had a Sabbath year. They were supposed to work their fields, planting and harvesting for six years. And then the seventh year was a Sabbath for the land. A year of rest for the earth. Where there was no planting, no harvesting. You could eat any food that grew naturally. You could still hunt and things like that. You'd store away barley and wheat from the previous years to have enough to get you through. Because in the seventh year, it was a Sabbath for the land. No planting, no harvesting, no working the soil. You let the land lay fallow. Let's hit pause there for just a second and work through how, how that might affect society. How kind of radical that idea is. An entire year with no planting or harvesting. We're talking about an agrarian society here. The ancient Israelites, it was, was a, a nation of farmers. Um, you had shepherds, you had tradespeople, you had priests and things like that, but about 90% of the population worked in some form of agriculture. So the Sabbath year would essentially shut down the economy for a whole year. Buying and selling would pretty much stop. Most of the work that people were familiar with, that was put on hold for a year, just so that the ground can rest. But it doesn't actually stop there. The Sabbath year had other implications. It was also a time for debt forgiveness. The Old Testament has a bunch of laws about debt and interest and borrowing and lending. Uh, For example, Israelites weren't allowed to charge each other interest when they'd issue a loan. So like if your neighbor needed something and you loaned it out to them, you could not charge interest. Interest is unbiblical. Can I get an amen to that? (laughs) Amen. 60,000 in student loan debt right here. Amen. But then the seventh year, the Sabbath year, if you had loaned something to someone else the six years prior, the debt was forgiven. It was a time for debt release across the country. This actually gets spelled out in um, Deuteronomy 15, verses 1 and 2. It'll be up there on the screens. Every seventh year you shall grant a remission of debts. And this is the manner of the remission. Every creditor shall remit the claim that is held against a neighbor, not exacting it of a neighbor who is a member of the community, 
because the Lord's remission has been proclaimed. I love that ending. Why do we forgive debts? Because the Lord's remission has been proclaimed. God has forgiven your debt. So if anyone else owes you something, every seven years, you forgive that debt as well. What's that line we say together when we pray every week? Forgive us our debts. Yes, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. The Lord's Prayer. In some churches, that's forgive us our trespasses or forgive us our sins. But the actual language, like the word Jesus uses when he teaches his disciples to pray is debts. And in the Greek, that's debts as in debts, like debts. Uh, a debt that God has with you, a debt you have with someone else. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Christians tend to think about salvation in terms of like the law oftentimes, very legalistic terms. We talk about um, Jesus taking our punishment or receiving the penalty for our crimes. In Judaism, though, salvation was talked about with economic language. God has forgiven you a debt, so you forgive your debtors. And we haven't even gotten to the Jubilee year yet. So, if this Sabbath year stuff sounds a little extreme, sounds a little radical, the idea of shutting the whole economy down for a year and forgiving all debts every seven years, if that's a little much, Jubilee's going to blow your mind. <clears throat> Back to our passage, Leviticus 25, 1-12, that Tom read for us a minute ago. The first seven verses here are about the Sabbath, which is appropriate, right? Seven verses, seven years. Guys, see, yeah, I see what you did, Moses. Yeah, it's good. Um, here's the passage, though. First part's about the Sabbath here. Now we've got a little bit of background. The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you enter the land I'm giving you, the land shall observe a Sabbath for the Lord. Six years you shall sow your field, six years you shall prune your vineyard, and gather in their yield. But in the seventh year thou shalt, there shall be a Sabbath of complete rest for the land. A Sabbath for the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. You shall not reap the aftergrowth of your harvest or gather the grapes of your unpruned vine. It shall be a Sabbath of complete rest for the land. You may eat what the land yields during its Sabbath, you, your male or female slaves. We talked about last week, this nation of escaped slaves now owns slaves. We got into some of the problematic stuff there. Your hired and bound laborers who live with you, your livestock also, and for the wild animals in your land, all its yield shall be for food. That's the Sabbath year. Now we've got some background on that. Work for six years in the fields, seventh year the land rests. The rest of this is about Jubilee. Jumping back in at verse 8. This is the fun verse. You shall count off seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that the period of seven weeks of years gives 49 years. Math. Then you shall have the trumpet sounded loud on the tenth day of the seventh month, on the day of atonement. You shall have the trumpet sounded throughout all your land, and you shall hollow the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. You shall return every one of you to your property and every one of you to your family. That 50th year shall be a jubilee for you. You shall not sow or reap the aftergrowth or harvest the unpruned vines, for it is a jubilee. It shall be holy to you. You shall eat only what the field itself produces. 
I know all that stuff about seven weeks of years is a little tough to follow, so here's basically the idea of Jubilee. Here's what the text is saying. The Israelites have this system, the six-in-one rhythm. Work six years, rest seven. Rest on the seventh. That's the Sabbath year. After you do that seven times, so 49 years, the 50th year is the year of Jubilee. And these verses I just read gives us a snippet of what's supposed to happen in the year of Jubilee. The rest of the chapter breaks it down in way more detail. But here's the basics. In the year of Jubilee, anyone who's lost their family lands, maybe like you sold them off to pay a debt, or you had a really bad harvest and you lost the farm, anything like that that's happened in the last 50 years, you get your lands back. Everything goes back to the original owners. All indentured servants are set free. Most slavery um, back then was debt slavery. So anyone who sold themselves or their families into slavery, either to pay off a debt or just to survive, in the Jubilee year, they're set free. It's basically like releasing people from debtor's prison today. That's the equivalent. And it's also an extra Sabbath year, which means all that stuff applies. It's the second Sabbath year in a row. The land rests. All debts are forgiven. So in the year of Jubilee, we've got it up here. Land goes back to its original owners. Indentured servants are set free, released from debtor's prison. Extra Sabbath year, all debts are forgiven. And this happens every 50 years. So the Jubilee was supposed to be like this once-in-a-lifetime economic reset where everything goes back to the way it was in the beginning. Now, I don't care, and we can actually go back, Johnny, to the other one. Not quite yet for math. We'll get there. Sorry. I don't care what kind of economic theory you subscribe to. I don't care if you're a capitalist or a socialist or what, what economic ideas you find radical or what you're on board with. This is more radical than I think anything we're talking about today. An across-the-board economic reset. Could you imagine if we actually did that today? If, like, one day, just all debts are forgiven. Anyone who lost their home or property through foreclosure, they get it back. Anyone who declared bankruptcy or was ruined, maybe by, like, medical bills or something like that, your slate's wiped clean. And, oh, yeah, no harvesting or planning for the year because the land has to rest, too. Our economy would probably never recover. And that's because we have an economy that's built on scarcity. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. The underlying shift of this series, and when we think about the Bible's understanding of economics, is a shift from scarcity to abundance. Most economic systems are built on this fear of scarcity, the need to manage our resources so we don't run out. But the Bible's economic system is based on stewarding abundance. God has already provided everything we need. We just need to steward it faithfully. You can do Jubilee in an abundance economy, but you can never do it in an economy that's built on scarcity. It won't work. Our economic system depends on constant growth. The economy has to grow. Profits have to go up. GDP has to rise. Consumption rates have to increase, or the whole system breaks down. 
kind of exhausting. I don't know about you, but it kind of fills me with a sense of like existential dread. But our system depends on it. If things stay the same, we call that stagnation. And that's a bad thing, because that's only one step removed from a recession, where things move backwards. Contrast that with with Israel's economic system, where the goal is stagnation, stability, a balancing of the economy. Individuals can't amass enormous amounts of property and wealth in a system like that because every 50 years, God hits reset, and it all has to go back. That's radical. Like, forget about income inequality in a system like that. It doesn't even apply. But before we over-idealize any of this, there's something you need to know. A confession that I kind of have to make on behalf of ancient Israel. We have these Jubilee laws in our Bibles. They're there in black and white. But there is no actual evidence that the Israelites ever did any of this. When we look at Scripture, when we look at the stories and the history there, there's no mention of Jubilee being practiced. There's no mention of a Sabbath. When we look at, like, other stuff, historical data from, like, other cultures in the area, There's no mention of anything like this actually being carried out. They had these radical laws, and they never observed them. And remember, this is all given to the Israelites at the start of their time as a people. What's going to happen is they're going to wander through the wilderness, through the desert with Moses for about 40 years. They're going to go into the land, the promised land. They're going to establish a nation, build palaces, have kings, a temple, all that stuff. And then about 500 years later, the nation of Israel is going to fall to Babylon. We've talked about this in here before. In the year 587 B.C., the Babylonians sweep through the land and they conquer everything. Jerusalem is destroyed. The temple is leveled. All the palaces are brought down. Most of the people are killed. And then the survivors are carried off into exile. And with all that destruction, with no more monarchy, no more kings, the people turn to their prophets. They turn to these like social justice-oriented, radical religious leaders to understand why this happened. Why would God allow such chaos and destruction? Why would God allow us to lose our land? And the prophets answered that by pointing to the Jubilee and to Sabbath. Now we can get the math up there. Sorry, Joey. The Israelites were in the promised land for about 490 years. If you do the math, that's 70 Sabbath years that were never observed. And so when Babylon storms in and drives everybody out, the explanation offered by the prophets was, we never kept the Sabbath. We never practiced jubilee. We never let the land rest. And now the land has vomited us out. Israel skipped about 70 Sabbath years, and guess what? The exile in Babylon, anyone want to guess how long it was? 70, 70 years. We didn't allow the land to rest, and it has vomited us out. 
there are all kinds of ways we could apply like an ominous warning like that. We could talk about consumption of our own natural resources, right? We could talk about how we have overworked the land, how we've stripped the land of its resources, of its fruits, and how if we're not careful, the land might vomit us out. That might all be coming back to bite us. We could dig into all the parallels, all the economic parallels between the Jubilee and the Sabbath year and like economic debates and discussions and things like that that we have today. We could talk about debt relief as a biblical concept. We could talk about the way our system tends to trap poor folks, working families into a never-ending cycle of debt. We could talk about student loan debt, credit card debt, subprime mortgages. We could talk about um, predatory lenders and payday loan companies. These companies that target poor communities giving, uh, giving loans with little collateral and high interest, making a profit off the poor. We could talk about how the very foundations of our economy is this, quell, this quest, this never-ending quest for constant growth and accumulation and about how ultimately unsustainable that is. There are a lot of really convicting, kind of challenging ways we could apply all this. But I actually want to close today with a word of hope. Anyone in favor of hope? Ah, there's some hands. Excellent. Hope. I want to jump ahead a little bit to Jesus' words in the New Testament. It's very relevant. In his very first sermon, which is in Luke chapter 4, a story, we actually looked at this a few months back as a church. Jesus stands up in front of his hometown synagogue and he announces the following. The quote should be on the, the slides. <clears throat> the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What does he proclaim? Yeah, Jubilee, yeah. Good news for the poor, release for the captives, the year of the Lord's favor. This is Jubilee language Jesus is using. He's actually quoting the Old Testament. I tricked you. This is a New Testament quote, but he's quoting Isaiah. In his life and ministry, Jesus sets out to repair all the brokenness of our world. He heals the sick. He feeds the hungry. He elevates the poor to a position of honor. He forgives debts. He repairs the broken relationship between human beings and our Creator, hitting reset on everything, declaring jubilee, calling the whole world back to the way it was in the beginning. Jesus invoked the year of jubilee at the start of his ministry. He carried it out in his life, death, and resurrection, and he established the church, this community, communities like these, to carry on that work. We are called to be a jubilee people, a community that lives and operates according to a different system, a different set of standards. We're called to be a community that proclaims good news for the poor, release for the captives, the year of the Lord's favor, a community that carries out the work of Jesus today. 
Will we remain entrenched in a culture of scarcity? Are we going to be enslaved by a never-ending demand for more? Or will we answer the call? Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.